Hello, and welcome to the Kiskea Chapel Sermon Podcast. Kiskea Chapel is an international church in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, where we equip English-speaking believers to expand God's kingdom in our community and beyond. For more information about Kiskea Chapel, you can visit us on our website at kiskeachapel.org. We hope you enjoy this message. I want you to know that I am a, a fair-weather fan. You know what it means to be a fair-weather fan? When it comes to American football, I mean, anybody here follow American football? Craig, do you follow American football? I'm not real sure. Yeah, okay. Uh, when it comes to American football, I come from New England, and so the New York, uh, the New, whoa. How did that come out of my mouth? The New England Patriots, people from New York are really automatic suspect in my mind. Uh, the New England Patriots are our team, uh, but is it com- when it comes to the New England Patriots, uh, I'm, a, I'm a fair weather fan. What that means is when they're doing good, I'm right there. I'm celebrating, I'm excited, I'll watch the Super Bowl, I'll eat the, the queso and the nachos and pretend I know what's going on on the TV screen. But when they're not doing good, I don't care. A couple weeks ago, the Patriots lost, okay? It was a big deal for some. A lot of people back home were upset. Craig was over there cheering. I still owe, by the way, Craig and I had a bet. I'm sorry to tell you that your pastor bets, okay? But uh, the Patriots and the Chiefs played a few weeks ago, and we said whoever wins will, will buy the other a burger. And so I'm saying publicly, I still owe you that burger from Kai Chefs. But, uh, but the Patriots lost a few weeks ago. I didn't lose any sleep over it because I'm a fair weather fan. That means I'm there when they're good. When they're not, I don't care. When it comes to, the, to baseball, though, when it comes to the Red Sox, I am a New Englander, okay? Some of my best memories, I still remember in 2004 when the Red Sox finally won the World Series after so many years of not winning anything. And they finally broke the curse. I remember I was in my dorm in college and and just the feeling of excitement was amazing. And I remember one of my best memories over the past five years was 2015, I think it was, Becca, 2015, where I got to go to, to Fenway Park. Man, I was like eight rows back from the dugout. I could see the sweat dripping off of Big Pappy's nose, and, and it was just an amazing, amazing experience. And then the Red Sox won, and then the music comes on. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, anybody know? Nobody from Boston here? No? This is a really big deal for me, okay? That, and I love that dirty water. That's the song that we sing about the River Charles. But anyway, uh, when it comes to the Red Sox, I'm with them. If they're bad, I'm with them. If they're good, I'm with them because I'm a good fan. When it, comes to the Red, to, when it comes to the Pats, I don't care. I'm a fair weather fan. Uh, if you are a fanatic of sports, you can be a fair weather fan. You can be a dedicated fan. I am willing to bet that there are not many fair weather fans here when it comes to the Haitian soccer team. How many of you remember when they beat Canada? Oh, see, look at that. I'm willing to bet that when they beat Canada, there was not a place on this island from Old Kai to Old Cap that you didn't hear cheering, that you didn't hear gunshots going up in the air. I remember. <laughs> I'm sitting in my house, I wasn't watching the game, and all of a sudden I'm like, well, I think they won. It's time to go inside, because what goes up is going to come down. There are not many people here who are fair-weather fans when it comes to Haitian soccer, right? Right. But you can be a fair-weather fan. When it comes to following sports, you have to choose. When you find a team, you have to choose. Are you going to stick with them? When they're good and when they're bad, or are you only going to be with them when they're good? 
When it comes to the walk of discipleship, it's the same thing. We're going to look at Mark chapter 1 today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open your Bibles. I'm, I'm the lazy preacher. I didn't put any slides up on the screen, and so you're going to have to... Oh, Pastor Mag, you're cool, man. Now I owe you two burgers. <laughs> it's on the screen. Mark chapter 1. We are starting this morning a series that's going to carry us all the way to Easter. And we're going to work through the book of Mark together. If you've got your journals, you're reading Mark during the week. And then every week we're going to pick one of the sections that you read. And we're going to preach about it here uh, in the message. And so we're going to look at Mark chapter 1 today. And as we start this series of Mark, what we're going to find in Mark chapter 1 is that Mark is extending an invitation for you to follow the way of discipleship. To follow Jesus to start down the path of discipleship. And the question we're going to ask today, the question he's asking as he tells this story of the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the question is this, will you still follow him no matter what happens? Are you going to be a Fairweather fan or are you going to stick with him? Whatever happens. That's the question we're going to look at today. And as we look at this, we're going to look and we're going to find that there are three necessary things for you to understand before you agree to embark on the path of discipleship. Three things that you have to understand. We're going to look at these things. We can call them three signposts that you would find along the path of discipleship as you're journeying through the path of discipleship. But let me give you first just a little bit of context here about the Gospel of Mark. How many Gospels are there? You know how many Gospels there are? Four Gospels. I'm asking because I didn't know. Four Gospels in the Bible, okay? Mark is the shortest Gospel that we have. Mark is a fast-paced Gospel. One of the things that you'll see, if you've been doing your reading this week, you've already seen this. One of the most common words that you find in the Gospel of Mark is the word immediately. Immediately, so-and-so appeared. Immediately, this happened. Immediately, Mark is a fast-paced gospel. You'll find in the beginning of Mark, I'm not, not going to talk about this today, but there's no story of Jesus' birth. That doesn't mean he wasn't born. It just means that Mark is intentionally selecting something. He is trying to advance an agenda as he's writing this story. He's telling the story, but trying to communicate something at the same time. It's a fast-paced gospel. We know that because as we look at the gospel, there is an emphasis on action over teaching. For example, there are 18 miracles that are documented in the gospel of Mark, but there are only four parables. And there's only one discourse or kind of long teaching section, okay? 18 miracles, only four parables, only one lengthy discourse. It's an action-packed book. We know, we think that Mark wrote this book while he was in Rome, and he wrote this addressing it to Roman Christians, and we think that we wrote that he wrote it somewhere between A.D. 65 and A.D. 68. One of the reasons we know that is because the, uh, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in A.D. 70, and there's no mention of that here, and so we, we think that he had to have written it before that happened. So we think somewhere between A.D. 65 in AD 60, uh, 68. And what he's doing here is he is reporting what he heard from Peter. I mean, you know, Simon Peter, Simon Peter is one of the 12. And Simon Peter was telling Mark what he saw as he followed Jesus. And Mark is there 
writing it all down, producing the gospel. So that's kind of what's happening here. And what we find is this, this gospel of Mark uh, is, is itself an invitation to follow the path of Jesus. Here in chapter one, we see kind of the invitation. And then for the rest of the book, we're going to see what that looks like. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does this look like? And so that's how, kind of how uh, this book is going to go. And so what we're going to find as we look here in chapter one is that there are three things that are necessary for us to understand. There are three signposts that we will find along the beginning of the path to following Jesus, the walk of discipleship. And the first thing that we'll see, the first thing that is required is a total reset of your perspective. A total reset of your perspective. If the path of discipleship were a trail and you were getting ready to walk down it, one of the first signs you would see signposts at the beginning of that trail is the one word, repent. Repent. Look at what's happening here in chapter one. The scene opens in chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So he's talking about someone who's going to come and set the stage for Jesus to come. And then what happens? Verse 4, John appeared. And who's John? We're not talking about the apostle John. This is John the Baptist, actually Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. John shows up on the scene, and John shows up on the scene with a mission, a mission that was prophesied long, long time before him. We find he quotes here, says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, he's actually quoting a little bit of Isaiah and a little bit of Malachi here, and his mission was to prepare the way of the Lord to make his paths straight. Now, how did he do that? Well, we see what he's doing. He, John appeared, verse 4, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So what's going on here? He's out here in the wilderness. He's out next to the Jordan River and he's dunking people, okay? He's baptizing people. Now, you might think, how did baptism show up so early, isn't something that baptism, isn't baptism something that, that, that Jesus did? Isn't something the apostles did? You know, why are we, why, Jesus isn't even here yet. So why are we, why are we baptizing? But, but it's important to understand that, that baptism is a phenomenon, uh, is something that existed before Christ, okay? In fact, there was a time where Gentiles, people who were not Jewish, if they wanted to convert to Judaism, they would be baptized. That would be the, the initiatory rite for a Gentile to convert into Judaism. Now, one thing that's interesting is that, that historians tell us that they baptized themselves. Now, I don't know how they did that. I don't know if they just said, okay, I want to be a Jewish person now, and then they cannonballed into the pool or something, but they, they baptized themselves. Um, but here, John is baptizing them. And one of the things that's interesting here, instead of Gentiles being baptized so that they can become Jewish, who's out here doing this? He says, all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him, being baptized by him in the river Jordan. Instead of Gentiles being baptized so they can become Jewish, this is Jews, who, people who are already Jewish, being baptized. What are they doing out there? And then it says, this baptism was for the forgiveness of 
of sins. Jews already had a, a way to have their sins forgiven, right? You remember the sacrificial system that is, that is laid out in the Old Testament? That was set out as a way for them to have their sins forgiven. You know, you bring these animals, you do all these things and, and check all these boxes. Now, technically they weren't getting their sins forgiven. It was more like making a payment on the credit card so the creditor doesn't come and get you. But they had a way to deal with their sin. But, but here they are, they're out in the wilderness and they're being baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And what does he say? call this baptism? He calls it a baptism of repentance. Now this is a key word. You need to understand this word, repentance. How many of you have heard this word before? Most people have heard this word before. Sometimes we see pictures of people holding a sign that says repent and usually they're angry and mad at somebody or whatever. Uh, but repentance is a critical word in this book and in the New Testament. It comes from the Greek word which means metanoia. And what it literally means is this. It means a change of mind that results in a change of direction. A change of mind that results in a change of direction. And, and what they're saying here is they're coming here. He says they're being baptized in the Jordan. What are they doing? They're confessing their sins. In other words, confession means I agree. I'm saying yes, it's true. I'm guilty. They're confessing their sins. So that's a, there's a change of mind that is taking place there. They're realizing, hey, you know what? I don't just need to go and bring sacrifice. The problem is inside me. I'm a sinner. And I need to confess that. And so that's what they do. And then they go through this repentance, a change of mind that results in a change of direction. How many of you remember the um, Mac versus PC ad campaign? It's about, it's going back. I'm maybe dating myself, which is really bad, but it's probably 10, 12 years ago. I, you know, there was this ad campaign. Some of you know we have Macintosh computers, we have PC, PC computers. Macintosh computers are better, PC computers are not as good. Everybody knows that, right? Okay. So, but anyway, what would happen is they'd come on the screen, there'd be this kind of hip guy that would come on the screen, and, you know, he'd be wearing a hoodie sweatshirt, and his hair was looking really cool, and he'd have blue jeans on like me, trying to be cool and stuff, you know. And then this other guy would come on the screen, and he'd be in a suit. Okay, and he'd have glasses, these kind of nerdy glasses, and he kind of looked like Dwight Schrute. I think this is before Dwight Schrute came on the scene. And so the, the cool guy would come on, and he said, hi, I'm a Mac. The other guy would come on and say, hi, I'm a PC. And then they would go and start to talk. My favorite, I need to tell you, I spent too much time on YouTube last night watching these things, okay? Uh, but my favorite one was the guy, guy comes on and says, hi, I'm a Mac. I'm a PC. And then they start talking together and say, one of the things that's cool is both of our computer systems can operate Microsoft Office. As they're saying that, the PC guy says, Microsoft And he freezes. And then the Mac guy says, hey, PC, are you there? Oh, sorry, sorry, I froze. Hi, I'm a PC. He said, wait, we already said that. Yeah, sorry, I had to restart. You know what that's like, right? And the Mac guy says, no, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> Funny, okay. Some will get that joke, some think I'm crazy, that's fine. But I saw those ads, and at the time I was a PC user, okay? I saw those ads and I started to think, well, maybe there is something to this Mac thing. Maybe, and, and I want to be cool like this guy, maybe, maybe I should get a Mac. So 
I don't know, about 15 years ago, I bought my first Mac, and I gotta tell you, I've never gone back, okay? I started using the Mac, and as soon as I started using Mac, I realized that it's definitely a superior computer system to PC, and uh, I've never gone back. And so what happened is, I saw those ads, I had a change in mind, and it resulted in a change of direction. Now, I've been going down this new path towards Mac for 15 years now, okay? Let me tell you what's happened. And this just happened last week. Where's Mark? Somebody calls me and says, hey, I got something going on with my computer. Can you help me out? And if it's a PC, I look at it and I'm like, I don't even really know how to use this thing anymore. Where's the start button? What do you do, you know? I'm so far down this road now that I've forgotten the old way. That's what repentance is like. It's a change of mind that results in a change of direction and you keep going down that path while you're keeping your eyes on the one that you're following. The next thing you know, you realize, whoa, that old life, I'm, I'm, that's pretty far back now. That's pretty cool. That's what repentance looks like. Why are these guys out here being baptized? What's happening here is Mark is showing us that God is up to something new in the way that he relates with human beings. God is up to something new in the way that he relates to human beings. Where are they? It says these are Israelites, these are Jews, and they're back in the desert. Remember, they, they spent some time in the desert before, right? Remember that? They spent, a few, they spent 40 years in the desert, right? And how'd that work out for them? Not too well. They were provided for supernaturally, but it didn't work out too well. What happened was they were in the desert as a consequence of their sin. And the point of them being there was for them to be able to come to their senses and realize, hey, that wasn't so good. And for them to have some repentance, but it didn't happen. And so what happened was they had to stay there in the wilderness for 40 years while that first generation that left Egypt died off. And when that generation died off and the new generation was there, then Joshua took them out of the uh, desert and into the promised land, right? We kind of remember generally how, how the story works. Well, here they are. They're back in the desert. They're back by the Jordan. And what Mark and what John the Baptist is trying to help them understand is that now there is a new Joshua that is coming that's going to lead them out of the desert into a new promised land. How do I know that? The name for Jesus in Greek is Jesus. The Hebrew version for that is Yeshua, which is where we get the name Joshua. So literally what we're trying to, what, what Mark is trying to help us see is that there is a new Yeshua, there's a new Joshua that is coming. He's going to lead them out of the desert through the Jordan again, by the way, through the baptism that's happening in the Jordan, and take them finally to the new promised land. There's a new thing that is happening. The difference, though, between this desert experience and the last one when they were, for, they were there for 40 years is that this one is characterized by a change of mind that is resulting in a change of direction. This one's characterized by repentance. The last one never quite got there. So what about us? We got John the Baptist who is, uh, who is inviting people to do this, is Mark invites us to walk this path of discipleship, following Jesus. He wants us to know that the path that we're going to go on, before we can walk on that path, we need to be willing to have a total reset 
in how we view things. A change of mind that results in a change of direction. We have to be willing to admit before we can walk the path of discipleship that the path we've been walking before is the wrong one. That we're sinners, right? And that we need to change direction and go a different way. Now, let me, let me clarify something because sometimes we get this confused. Sometimes people hear the word repentance and they think that it means that once you repent, you got to be perfect from this point forward. Some churches teach that either explicitly or, or implicitly. And what happens when churches put a, a focus on that, what happens is that the Christians begin to focus solely on, on outward actions, on, on behavior, instead of looking at what's going on uh, in the heart. But that's not what repentance is. Repentance merely requires that when you change direction from this point forward, you're keeping your eyes on Jesus and you're following him. There's not a focus on, oh, I need to make sure I have the right look at me. I'm wearing these ugly shoes today. It doesn't mean that you have to work on the externals. It means you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. If you keep your eyes on him, things are going to start to change. It's going to happen. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with, I don't know if we can even call this a sport, orienteering. Anybody know what I mean when I say orienteering? A couple, okay. So I was a Boy Scout, and uh, you, can picture, you can picture me about you know, 50 pounds lighter with my uniform. I was a Boy Scout. And one of the things that we had to do in order to get Eagle Scout was that we had to go through this, get this orienteering merit badge. So orienteering is this deal where they give you a compass and they give you a map, and, and it, orienteering is, is the way where you are able to navigate your way through wilderness or whatever with just a compass and a map. And one of the things they had us do is they, they dumped us in the middle of the forest one, uh, somewhere, and they gave us a compass, and they gave us a map and said, okay, you're on your way, you're on your own, find your way home. And it can be interesting, when you're in the wilderness, if you, you start walking a straight line, you think you know the direction you need to go. If you don't pay very close attention, it can be very easy for you to just walk in a big circle. It kind of naturally happens. If we're not paying attention, we will start to veer one direction or the other. And if you do that long enough, you're just going to spend an hour walking in, a one, in, in big circles. That's happened to a lot of people. They, they walk for a while and all of a sudden they realize an hour later they're right back to where they started again. One of the tricks that they taught us in orienteering is that if you want to make sure you go the direction you need to go, you get your map, you put your compass on it, you get things oriented the way you want to go, the direction you need to go, and then you look ahead and you find a tree or a rock or something off in the distance that is exactly in line with the direction you need to go. And then you keep your eyes on that tree. You walk to the tree. Then when you get to the tree, you get your map, you get your compass, you reorient yourself. You find another object off in the distance that's in that same line. If you keep doing that, you will get to your destination. In orienteering, if you can focus on what's directly in front of you and walk that straight line, you will get to where you need to go. In the Christian life, if you can keep your eyes on Jesus, you will get to where you need to go. Now, there may be times where you start to veer off course. It's natural. We're in the mid we live in a world where sin is present. It's going to be pulling at us in this direction or the other. There are going to be times where you have to stop the direction you're going and you have to get your map out, get your compass out, recalibrate. 
But if you keep your eyes on Jesus, you will get to where you need to go. First signpost that you find on the path of discipleship is a signpost that reads, repent. A change of mind that results in a change of direction. The second thing that you need to understand if you're going to go down the path of discipleship, I only got two more of these. The second one is this, that you're going to have to be willing to embrace a mission. You're going to have to be willing to embrace a mission. We see this with John the Baptist here in the early, in the early verses uh, of this chapter. John the Baptist is given a mission. What is his mission? Prepare the way of the Lord, verse 3. Make his paths straight. And then down in verse 7, we see that he started to flesh that out. And he was preaching, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist's mission was simply this, to point to Jesus. His mission as a disciple was simply this, to point to Jesus. We find out later on, in fact, in John chapter 1, in another gospel, if you go to the gospel of John chapter 1, people actually ask him, are you Elijah? He says, no. I might talk about that more in a minute, though, because he actually was. Uh, are you the prophet? No. Are you the Messiah? No. I'm not him. He's the other guy that's following me. He was pointing to Jesus. And then we see, so that was John the Baptist's mission. Then we see Jesus. In verse 9, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being ripped open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And then in verse 14, he he begins his ministry. And it says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. What's he doing? Proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. John the Baptist is pointing towards Jesus. Jesus is pointing towards Jesus. (laughs) What is the gospel? He's preaching the gospel. What is the gospel? That Jesus died for our sin, right? Jesus, his mission was to point to the gospel. And then we see the same call goes to the disciples. Jesus, in verse 16, is passing along the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And then later on, he finds James and John and calls them and they follow and do the same thing. What is the mission that he's calling them to do? To follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Sometimes we can make a mistake when we start to engage the Christian life, we start to engage the path of discipleship. Sometimes we can make the mistake of thinking that this path of discipleship, this path of following Jesus is about fixing me. It's about reforming myself. I've got this perpetual sin that I'm, that I'm stuck in and the only way I can get out of it is by following Jesus. All of that is true, but we forget that fundamentally the Christian life is not just about me being fixed, but it's also about me sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ so that you can get fixed and you can get fixed and you can begin 
to live a life that is glorifying to God. There's a, an interesting quote out there. Um, it's disputed who, who said this quote. Some people say it's Bonhoeffer. Some people say it's a guy named William Temple. But, but the quote is this. The church is the only institution that exists for the purpose of its non-members. Think about that. The church is the only institution that exists for the purpose or for the benefit of its non-members. We're to be an outward-focused people, not just inwardly-focused. And one of the things that's critical for us to understand as we embark on the path of discipleship is that God is ultimately up to something. He wants to get this message of the good news out to the whole world. In fact, one of the things that's interesting as you read the Gospels, as you read the epistles, we see that one of the early things that had to be clarified as the church was beginning to start was that this, this, this message that was being preached wasn't just for the Jews, right? Paul talks about this for the Jews first, then for the Gentiles. They go repeatedly, go through, um, uh, try to make clear that this message is also for the Gentiles. And it's interesting that this Gospel of Mark, remember I said it was written to Roman Christians? You see in verse 1, Jesus is identified as Christ the Son of God. There's only one other time that that phrase shows up in this gospel. And that's all the way at the end of the gospel in chapter 15, right after Jesus died, the Roman centurion. What does he say? This was the Son of God. Who is that guy? He's a Roman, he's not a Jew. In fact, he is part of the group that was ruling over the Jews at the time. And he is recognizing that Jesus is the Son of God. Why does Mark point that out? Because he wants us to understand that the gospel isn't just for us. It's for everybody. And we need to be engaged in that mission. The path starts with a change of mind that results in a change direction. And then now just a few feet down the trail, you're going to see a sign that says, engage, embrace the mission. Embrace the mission. If you want to walk the path of discipleship, you need to be willing to embrace the mission. But here's the third sign that you're going to see, not too far from that one. I'm going to kind of end on a sour note here. The third sign says this, accept the consequences. If you want to walk the path of discipleship, you have to be willing to accept the consequences. It's not an easy road, this path of discipleship. And Mark wants us to be clear about this from the get-go. Look at what happens. John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, yes, I'm going to do this mission that you've given to me. I'm going to follow the path of discipleship. And, and what did that involve for him? Look, look at him. He's, he's out there. And what's he wearing? Camel's hair. How many of you know camel's hair probably isn't all that comfortable? What I picture when I picture that, have you ever seen like a burlap sack that, that uh, coffee comes in or, or uh, Deary Miami comes in, you know? It's like he's wearing something kind of rough like that. And what's he doing? He's, what's he eating? He's eating bugs. He's eating grasshoppers. He's eating wild honey. It's interesting because grasshoppers were listed as a, or locusts were listed as a clean food that they could eat. And that's what he's doing. And he's out in the desert. This guy... All right? He's a hillbilly. He didn't get to live in the lap of luxury in the city. He's living on deo. Okay? Wearing camel's hair, eating grasshoppers, not exactly the most exciting of missions. 
And why is Mark show that? He's trying to help us understand it's going to require sacrifice. If we're going to follow this path, it's going to require sacrifice. And then what happens? Verse 14. Now after John was arrested. You remember what happened to John? If you're reading your aim journals, in a couple weeks you're going to get to chapter 6. And in chapter 6 is where you find the story of how John was executed. John, uh, um, uh, Herod had taken his brother's wife as his wife. And John the Baptist saw it. He called him out on it. Remember, repentance. Change of mind, change of direction. He called him out on it. It didn't work too well. He was arrested and then ultimately beheaded. So that's what happened to this first disciple. Let's check the second one. Jesus. What happened to Jesus? We've got this, we've got this beautiful scene in verse 9, 10, and 11 where Jesus is, is baptized and we have this, this beautiful Trinitarian affirmation of who he is. By the way, this is verse, verses 9 through 11 is one of the places where you see all three members of the Trinity present and working. Okay? Um, this beautiful scene where he's baptized and he comes up out of the water and, and then the word there is that the, the heavens are, are torn open. The only, time, the only other time this word is used in, in the gospel is where the curtain is torn after Jesus has died. Okay? And that's symbolizing, by the way, that now, because of this guy that has come, now we have access to God. But, uh, but the, the heavens are torn open, and then the voice of God comes down, and he says, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And when I read that now as a dad to two sons, I smile, because I think of what that must have been like. So Jesus is baptized. And then what happens? Verse 12, there's that word. The Spirit immediately, what did he do? Drove him out into the wilderness. He's already in the wilderness where he gets baptized. Now he goes further out into the wilderness. And where is he? He's by himself. Mark emphasizes this. He says the only ones that are with him there are the wild animals. He's just chilling with the deer. And I don't know what kind of animals they have in Israel, but... Whatever they were, he's hanging out with him. And he's being tempted for 40 days by none other than Satan himself. How many of you know, I mean, for me, it's hard enough to resist a temptation of like a good cheeseburger or something like that. But, but being tempted by Satan himself, can you imagine? It's about blood, no? <laughs> and tempted by Satan himself... So he goes straight from this mountaintop experience of the baptism into struggle. And then where does it end in chapter 15? Beaten, spit on, executed. Mark is not such a good advertiser as he's inviting us into this journey of discipleship. Because he's saying, look what happened to John the Baptist. Look what happened to Jesus. And he doesn't say here what happens to the disciples. He leaves that as a question mark on purpose. But we kind of know where this is going. If you are going to walk the path of discipleship, brother, sister, it's not going to be easy. Now, there are prosperity preachers out there. There are prosperity preachers in this country who will tell you that if you're a Christian and that if you believe good enough that you will get rich and that you will stay healthy. How many of you have heard preachers say this? 
You need to know when they're saying that, they're lying to you. Paul had faith, right? What happened to Paul? Stoned, beaten, shipwrecked, executed. John the Baptist had faith, right? The guy's eating grasshoppers. That isn't like, you know, eating at the best restaurants, okay? It's not an easy road, but he points out that we don't walk the road alone. Right here in the temptation of Jesus, verse 12, spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals. And then right away he tells you, and the angels were ministering to him. One thing you can understand is that as a Christian, if you experience supernatural temptation, you can expect supernatural help. Paul is clear about it. What did he say in 1 Corinthians? Any temptation that has come upon you, what happens? God will give you a way out. God's coming. Jesus told us right before he ascended back into heaven, he said, lo, I am with you some of the time. No, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Yes, this is a hard road that Mark is inviting us on, but he's telling us that we don't have to do it alone. We will have help. He will give us what we need so we can get through. And on top of that, not only can we expect to have help, but we can expect that just as Jesus rose from the dead, those of us who are placing our faith in Jesus, we will rise too. Anybody believe that? Two or three of you maybe? Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Lois Evans passed away. Some of you know Lois Evans is the wife of Tony Evans, who's a pastor in Dallas. He has a very large church. He's a great, great preacher, uh, fellow alumni of DTS, right, Degoline? Um, but um, uh, Lois Evans uh, came down with cancer not too long ago and, uh, and passed away a week and a half ago. And the funeral was this past Sunday. And it was a big event, you know, lots of people came in, and their son, Jonathan Evans, who's a great guy, was up there uh, giving the eulogy for his mom. And he's up there talking, and, he's re- and he said, you know what, guys, I've been praying for my mom to be healed, and struggling in prayer because I love my mom, and I want me up my mom to be healed. And he said, you know what, I came to a place where I realized that there were only two possible answers to my prayers. Either she was going to live, or she was going to live. Either she was going to be healed or she was going to be healed. Either she was going to be with family or she was going to be with family. Either she was going to be taken care of or she was going to be taken care of. Why? Because she's a believer and she can count on the resurrection. As soon as her eyes closed, she was immediately in the presence of Christ. As believers, no matter what happens to us, even if we are killed, we can't lose. We can't lose. Either we're going to live or we're going to live. Those are the only options for us. And so Mark is asking us, will you walk this road of discipleship? Will you walk down this path? Even if sacrifice is required and you're required to leave your home, leave your family. Some of you have done that. I've done that. Even if persecution comes One of my good friends, a former elder of this church, is in the middle of a place right now where there is heavy, heavy persecution. Even when things happen that don't make sense and God asks you to suffer, will you still walk the path? 
uh, over at the STEP campus um, oh, probably a month or so ago, two months ago, uh, we had a tragedy where one of our bosses, um, one of our guys who does welding work for us, um, was killed, was murdered. Him and his brother on the same night were murdered in Fort Mecredy. Right near his mom's house. His mom has worked for, the, for, the, for UEBH for years and years. And um, I remember I was, I was in the States when this happened. When I got back, the first time I saw her, I gave her a hug. And I said, man, I'm just so sorry. John Robert was my friend. And, and uh, I'm really sad. I'm just really sorry for you. And, and she, said, she said with a smile, she said, Bonjour, bye, bonjour, prom. Ma beni non toujours. God, take, God gives, God takes away. I'm going to bless his name anyway. I don't know if I have what it takes to say that. But God asked her to walk that road, and he gave her what she needed. Mark is inviting us to walk this road of discipleship. No matter what happens, will you be willing to accept the consequences? Will you be willing to walk the road? So if you're willing to walk that road, you got to prepare. You got to be ready. How many of you know if somebody gets on the on TV and tells us that there is a hurricane coming, 150 mile an hour winds, and it's going to hit Port-au-Prince? What are we going to do? We're going to get ready. If you have a weak house, you're going to strengthen it, or you're going to go to another house that's more strong. We're going to get ready. We're going to we're going to see the warning and we're going to respond appropriately. When I'm flying, if I'm on an airline and, and the pilot comes over the the speaker and says, "Hey, we got turbulence ahead. Can you buckle your seatbelt?" If I have a drink sitting in front of me, I'm going to drink it real quick. I'm going to put my seatbelt on. I'm going to heed the warning and I'm going to get ready if I know turbulence is coming. Mark is telling us turbulence is coming, and if you want to walk the path of discipleship. You got to get ready. And I think one of the reasons we're pushing these journals so hard is because we want you to know that if you're going to be able to handle what comes in the path of discipleship, you've got to know how to abide. Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. And so the question for you this morning is, one, are you willing to walk the path of discipleship? Maybe you've gone off course. Are you willing to come back? And two, are you willing to learn to abide so that you can handle whatever comes? Um, there's, a, there's a quote that I like. I'm going to read this quote, and then I'm going, to, I'm going to finish. It's from the movie The Lion, the Witch, not the movie, the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by, by C.S. Lewis. It's also a movie. It's a book. Some of you know this story, but it's the, the, it all centers around this, this lion whose name is Aslan, and he is the, the Jesus figure of the movie. He's the savior of the movie. He saves the day, but he's a big lion. And, and there's this quote here where it says, uh, where Susan's saying, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall re feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Wherever you are, as we start this study of Mark together, we're starting with an invitation. Will you follow him? Will you go down this path of discipleship no matter what happens? I want to encourage you this morning. If you do, he isn't safe, but he's good.
we hope this message was helpful for you. If you're in Haiti, join us on Sunday mornings where English speakers from all backgrounds, missionaries, diplomats, Haitians, expats, come together to worship, to connect, and to have fellowship with one another. You can find more information about our location, our service times, and our Sunday school program for all ages at our website at kiskeachapel.org. Or shoot us an email at chapelq at gmail.com. That's chapelq at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.